Hey, it's your boy. And wow, look at you. You're so lucky you're back for episode two of the podcast. This is M. And uh, I'm hoping it sounds okay. Uh, I accidentally had my computer set up, so I heard the theme music uh, as well as it was playing. Um, but it's a good prompt for me because I should let you know that uh, the music we're using for this podcast is by the great Disaster Piece, uh, a.k.a. Rich Vreeland. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what to say about Rich. Rich is a really cool guy. So I, I basically texted him and asked. Um, he did the um, the music for a famous computer game. Uh, or video game called Fez. It was actually one of a few games that were featured in a documentary um, called Indie Game. And uh, Rich had done the music for that. Um, and uh, he used to live here in Berkeley. He actually used to live like right around the corner from me. <clears throat> and when he and I met, I used to go over to his house and like just film him working because I was so, um, I don't know, I was so interested in, in him as a person. But, um, and I'll get back into that. But uh, basically, when I started the podcast, I knew I needed some theme music. And in the first song I, song I thought of was this song Adventure from Fez. And uh, just texted him and asked if I could use it. And he said, absolutely. And um, checked in with him. And, and every time every time you check in with Rich, he's doing something like new and exciting and um, something different. I mean, he really made a name for himself as Disaster Piece doing... Um, doing uh video game music and i think the thing he's probably most known for is probably the fez soundtrack but he's done a lot he's done music for a lot of other cool games um and uh he's done some film scores now he did um i and i i unfortunately haven't seen them but he did the the music for a movie called it follows which was um a horror movie that uh, a lot of people saw and then he did uh under not under the, what is it? Under the lake? Under the placid lake? <laughs> I don't know. It's, what's, where, where, what's the hipster part of Los Angeles where everyone lives? Um, I don't fucking know. But it's like, I don't know. It's like a cool indie movie. He did the music for that. Um, and now apparently he's working on a, um, a sort of interactive play with the same people who did Sleep No More which, uh, if you haven't heard of it, is this sort of installation theatrical piece in New York City um, in a building that's loosely based on Macbeth. Uh, sleep No More is a line from Macbeth. And it basically, it's like, you know, sleep no more, sleep no more, Macbeth has mur- hath murdered sleep, or something like that. But um, Macbeth is actually my favorite Shakespeare play. Um, and maybe I'll note that in my mind and come back to it. But um, but yeah, Rich is a great guy. I, I'm not really sure how I got turned on to him, Um but he was just making music out here in the Bay Area, and he had already done Fez and that sort of stuff. Um, and how did we get? How did we get connected? I'm not sure, but I do know uh, I went over to his place. Actually, I think we met socially. Anyway, it'd be boring for me to just sit here and think about how we met. But the point is, is I was so um, one. He was doing really well, and so that was intriguing to me. But also. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what it was, but he was like lived right around the corner from me. And at the same time, I was um, doing a podcast myself uh, called Shut Up Songwriters, which was relatively short lived. I think we only did about, uh, I, you know, I always say 50 in my mind, but honestly, I don't even think it was as many as that. But the idea of Shut Up Songwriters was, um, you know, when I would go to open mics or whatever it was, the idea was everybody was always so loud and I always wanted to tell everybody to shut up. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time and um, I wanted to give, you know, my peers a space, you know, to have a long form conversation and talk about themselves. 
Um, and uh, so I did. And that really did a few things for me, which is, and, and I, the reason I'm saying this is because if you're creating uh, in your local commu- community or just stepping out or want to, you know, help ingratiate yourself with other artists in your community is to have something to offer them. And when I was first stepping out, you know, there were the people who already had a name for themselves. And, and uh, you know, at first you're doing things like cold emailing people saying, hey, keep me in mind if you need an opener or, you know, and, um, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just that when you finally get to a position where people are sending you those, se- sending you those types of emails, you realize there's nothing you can do for them. And, you know, the, you know, what uh, goes into you deciding who opens for you are just, they're, they're completely more nuanced. They're multidimensional decisions that have little to do with who emails you. It has to do with who do you know and who can draw and all those sorts of things. But um, what I'm trying to say is, is when you're just doing those types of things and just putting your name out there, um, if you're wanting things from people like opening for them or performing at certain venues, well, you can just go ahead and get in line. Um, and, uh, and that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But I found, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't like I had calculated this, but what I was finding is because I was doing this podcast and, um, and the people that I would have had access to that I could have emailed weren't so incredibly successful that it was that, you know, they wouldn't return my emails. Um, and a lot of them had not done long form, a lot of them had never had any sort of press or, or promotion before. And the prospect of doing a podcast sounded pretty cool to a lot of people. And so uh, I would just sort of say, hey, I do this podcast where I shoot a video of you performing and then we have a long form conversation and you know, you have this piece of content uh, that exists. And what it did is it got me in touch with a lot of people I, I probably would, never would have been able to have a conversation with otherwise. Um, and uh, so it was kind of a powerful tool for me. And it also helped me just develop my speaking skills on the mic. And, uh, you know, I mean, within a short time of doing the podcast, I was, you know, started doing, you know, where people were interviewing me. And, um, you know, it felt because I had already, you know, had those reps of, you know, interviewing other people. And for, for better or worse, I mean, sat across from people who either were speaking uh, engagingly, if I'm wording that right, they were being engaging about themselves versus people who were not. Um, I think I had a clearer sense of of, uh, of what to uh, to bring to a long form conversation like that. Um, but uh, what am I saying here? Why am I talking about all this? Um, I do know that Rich did my podcast, but uh, yeah. Anyway, but I think the point I was really trying to say is I I I, I was you know, shooting video of people. And I was like, there was a couple figures I was super enamored with. And one of them was my buddy, Pat Hull, who I mentioned in uh, either the last episode you heard, or even the pilot episode, I can't remember. But uh, he was a great songwriter. And I had this vision for him of just like, he was living down in Santa Cruz at the time. And I did spend one day where I went down there and just shot a bunch of video, um, thinking I was going to do a documentary about put about Pat because he was just, I, and I still think this, but he's so phenomenal and I was sort of surprised he wasn't more successful, but I wanted to create, um, just a piece of content about him to just sort of demonstrate or kind of express how I saw him. Um, but it was also, you know, an excuse to produce a video and something like that. And so I still have all the footage. I never really did anything with it. Um, but the same went for rich, which was, um, uh, yeah, I would just go over his place and like film him working. And at the time, he was working on the soundtrack for a game called Cannon Brawl, uh, which you can still find and play. And it was I played a little bit of it. It was a f- fun game. 
And um, I think he may have been working on a game called The Floor is Jelly at that time, too. Um, but yeah, I would just film him working and we would talk and, and we would digress into these conversations. And, um, so yeah, I still have like a couple hours of footage of him just like talking about his process and at his place. <clears throat> and, but Rich is sort of, he's sort of an interesting figure for me and it's, it's kind of vulnerable to talk about because you're sort of talking about how you experience someone versus how they experience you experiencing them. And it can be uncomfortable to hear. So uh, I don't know if Rich will ever hear this, but Rich for me embodies um, this concept that I talk about sometimes. Um, It's very important to me and it's something I strive for and I don't think I I have it yet, but it's something I I always, um, I strive for. And that is uh, creative confidence. And it sounds easy. <clears throat> but one of the most challenging things for me as a creator that I found is knowing what you want to do and executing it. And I think there was a time in my life when I wasn't creating for the public, like when I was just, you know, I wasn't performing, I wasn't recording and releasing the music I was making, I was just creating for myself, where I actually feel like I was more in touch with that. And, but once you start stepping out and performing and even thinking that you want to do this as a career, um, things become complicated very quickly. And that's because you have to start reconciling, not only this is what you want to do, but uh, how are you going to make money doing it? And um, and once you've actually released something or if you, you, you find that people are starting to listen to what you're doing, you're starting to create for an audience. And I know there's the platitude about creating, which is, you know, always consider your audience or some shit like that. And um, I I really vacillate on that. Sometimes I think that that's absolutely true. You have to keep your audience in mind. And then sometimes I think you should completely fucking create for yourself. Um, I literally just had a, like an hour long conversation with my, my friend, Matt, uh, Matt Evans, who's another great songwriter. Uh, You can find his music as uh, his first project was sleepy holler. And uh, most recently he was in a band called in Austin called reddening West. And, uh, but now he, he recently relocated to Portland and uh, he's kind of, in a sort of a period where he's sort of exploring what he might want to do creatively in the next chapter of his life. And we were talking about this idea of, well, you know, especially at our age, you should do exactly what you want and not worry about succeeding. And, uh, you know, you really owe it to yourself to, to, uh, find a way to really enjoy the process again. And if it, uh, happens to be successful, because I think when you get older and you realize, oh shit, I didn't become a rock star. Um, you start thinking, well, I don't want to stop creating entirely. It's a big part of who I am. But if I don't do it for a living, you know, what should I do? And I mean, to me, the answer is pretty intuitive. You should do exactly what you want. And if it happens to find an audience, perfect. If not, you can still enjoy it. Um, And it can still be an important part of your life. And um, I've talked about this before, but it, it, it sounds fine to say that because it sounds like you're sort of liberating your, yourself from the, from the prospect of having to make a living doing it. But I also, if I'm being honest, I know at the root of that somehow is also this hope, uh, this hope of the idea that if you actually let go of trying to succeed and do exactly what you want, that that itself might be the key to success. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not pretending to be some sort of creative guru, you know, even though I tell myself that and I, I even... Um, you know, um, preach it at other people like my friend Matt, for instance, excuse me. 
even though I preach it at people like my friend Matt, for instance, I still know that there's still a part of me that very much wants to find an audience and be successful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, uh, yeah, but as it relates to Rich, I mean, I, I don't pretend to know what his personal experience has been like, but just from an outsider's perspective, um, Rich has just always seemed to do what he wants. And um, we have had conversations where he, I remember he was talking about taking a hiatus for one year where he was going to stop doing contract work um, and just create music for himself. And, um, you know, I'm not pretending that things are easy for Rich, but um, I, I've just always kind of looked up to him and, and admired, you know, what I experience as his creative confidence. And it's something I've just struggled with. And I actually remember one time, <clears throat> I'd be curious to, to know hear if he remembers this, but... Um, two things. I'll start with the good one and then I'll start with the vulnerable one for me. But I did have a cool experience where I was dating someone a couple years ago and I was literally just walking home like to my house one day and I just walk up to this intersection and I see Rich on a bike and I'm just like, oh, hey, what's up, Rich? And we just had like kind of a cool like, oh, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, man. What's going on? All right, man. Talk to you later. He took off. Literally that night I was hanging out at my girlfriend's place and we were sitting in her roommate's room and they just uh, were chilling in there and uh, they turn on some music and it's disaster piece. It's my buddy Rich's music. And I was like, oh, do you know who this is? And I'm like, yeah, it's disaster piece. And I was like, yeah, but do you know who it is? And they're like, nah. And I was like, that's my buddy Rich. And they're like, you know him? I was like, yeah, dude, he lives here in Berkeley, which they didn't realize. They were sort of surprised by. And I was like, yeah, dude, I literally just bumped into him today. Um, so uh, I got to, uh, it was a, a nice moment for me where I got to look cool in front of my friend's roommates, but I also felt like a, like, you know, I was brushing shoulders with, with, uh, with a celebrity myself. But, um, but I did have a moment when that relationship ended, I was kind of in a, in a weird spot for a while. And I don't think I realized it at the time, but I was kind of, well, I mean, I knew I was suffering. I mean, I was getting over a breakup, but I, I remember he and I got together for lunch and it was kind of like, for me, it felt like a bad date. <laughs> and I don't know if that's going to make sense, but <clears throat> excuse me. I, I, I remember just sitting across from him and feeling like I, I, I felt like I was in such a weird place. Like I almost felt like I didn't deserve <laughs> to like hang out with him, you know? And I think at the time I really felt lost creatively and I felt directionless. And, and I think it was this like commingling of my personal feelings of looking at Rich as being a successful dude, as someone who had creative qualities that I aspire to. And I think just being with him and, and it was nothing he was doing. I mean, Rich is a phenomenal guy and he's super thoughtful and he's super friendly and, and uh, he's always been friendly to me. I think it was just the, per, my personal feelings about almost, I don't know. I was going to stop myself from saying shame, but it was a kind of embarrassment. I was kind of embarrassed to be who I was in f or be where I was at creatively is, is more accurate, but being where I was at creatively in front of him. And, um, you know, it would be like sitting across from someone, you know, you guys are both in business and his business is doing well while yours is just sort of floundering. And, you know, you're trying to be honest, but you're also trying to be affable. And, and it, it just, I felt like I was, you know, I, I just felt like I was treading water or something like that. Even, and, and it was just affecting my ability to like even be comfortable like sitting with him. And I, I've never really unpacked it before, but I've always, that's always sat with me, you know? And um, so anyway, 
Uh-huh. This has been cathartic so far, but um, anyway, yeah, I texted him and asked him if I could use his song for my podcast, and he said yes. And uh, but he continues to do well, uh, and rightfully so. And uh, he's very generous to uh, to let us use the music for this podcast. And uh, I highly recommend you check him out. <clears throat> you can find his music everywhere. Good digital music is sold and streamed. Disaster piece. Um. Anyway, we jumped on a couple topics there. I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm leaving anything behind there. Creative confidence, disaster piece. Oh, Macbeth. Uh, yeah. I, I. Um. I. Uh, yeah. It's strange. Macbeth is one of these things that comes back to me over and over and over again in my life, and. Um, and uh, it's hard to describe, and I, I, I'm curious to hear if other people have these experiences, but um, when I was younger, I did theater, and um, I was going to the school, I was like in probably first grade at the time, and the school that I went to was both a Montessori element, like preschool, then it was an elementary school, and a middle school, and a high school attached, so it was just this huge school that had kids of, I mean, all ages, pre-college, Literally every grade before college went to this uh, went to this school that I went to, and there was a senior in high school who was about to go off to Juilliard, and I don't know how they got connected. My mom was doing some volunteer work or something at the school, but there was a mother, the mother of this um, senior. His name was Greg Waddell, and he was a senior actor, um, and he was going to go off to Juilliard, and uh, he was, I guess he was kind of a big deal theatrically, or he was doing real well or whatever. And his mom was like, oh, this uh, had discovered that I was doing theater, and was like, oh, Greg and this guy should get together. So I didn't realize how fucking crazy of a prospect it was at the time, but his mom and my mom set up like a, a, a lunch date for me and this dude, Greg. And I look back on it now, and I think, Oh, that's fucking crazy because Greg Waddell is a senior in high school and he's meeting a first grader for lunch. And uh, we met up at TGI Fridays. And uh, I remember he like, uh, I think he got a French dip. Is that, is that, is that, that's the type of sandwich, right? I, it's always stuck in my mind because that was like the first time I'd ever even fucking heard of it. And I was ordering like chicken tenders off the kids menu. But we were talking about theater and stuff and I was just asking him like, oh, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm doing Macbeth. And I was like, oh, what's that? And he was like, it's, oh, it's this play. It's by Shakespeare. And uh, and he was just telling me the plot. And I can't describe what happened as he was telling it to me. But I, and I'm, not, I'm not pretending to remember the words that he said, but I, I can just imagine him saying, oh, well, it's about this... Um, it's about this nobleman in Scotland and um, he meets three witches and they tell him that he's um, going to become king and uh, he doesn't see how it's going to happen. So he plots with his wife uh, to kill the king when he comes to visit and he does so. And then um, uh, the witches tell him that, you know, his, uh, his crown uh, or whatever his, uh, his, uh, you know, his, 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 uh, his rule will be contested by uh, a son of his friend Banquo. So he kills Banquo and his kids and he's haunted by their ghosts, et cetera, et cetera. So he basically outlines the whole thing of Macbeth. I remember hearing this and it was like a lightning bolt going off in my brain. And I was like, this is for me. And I, I didn't know why, but it was something about the aesthetic. It was something about the image or whatever I was conjuring in my head. It was like, oh, I'm all about this. And I've had this a couple times in my life. And I think on one of the earlier episodes when I was talking about music, you know, I was saying I listen to things exclusively, like almost monomaniacally. And when I hear a song that I know is my shit, I know I'm going to lose like weeks to it. I'm literally going to listen to that song over and over and over again. 
this may have been, I mean, this, oh, you know what? Well, two things. This may have been like the first time outside of music that I had had that experience. And I cannot believe, I'm, I'm incredulous, this, this did not come up in my conversation about music. I remember saying, oh, my first interest was probably Bone Dugs and Harmony. Dude, how could I forget? How could I fucking forget? I was insanely obsessed with Michael Jackson growing up. I mean, I, it was literally all I thought about. Bone Thugs and Harmony was probably like when I was like 10 or 11 years old or whenever that shit came out. Before that, literally my entire childhood before that, I was obsessed with Michael Jackson. And uh, I don't want to get derailed <clears throat> here, and I'm sure we'll talk about Michael Jackson many more times. But um, if you want an example of how obsessed I'm, I mean, I, I remember walking through school and just thinking about him constantly. And just thinking about his music and his aesthetic and like the videos, I was obsessed with like the Moonwalker tape and the Thriller tape. I would watch those things over and over and over again. And um, uh, like what kind of sums it up for me is I remember we were on a family vacation when we were real young. I, I don't even know how old I was, like maybe six, maybe seven. We were in the Bahamas of all places. And I bumped into another kid my age, maybe a year older, who we just both realized, oh, we're both obsessed with Michael Jackson. And I remember him saying to me, oh, have you seen the Remember the Time video? And I was like, what? I knew the song, of course. I was like, no, I haven't. And he goes, oh, I have it on tape. Younger listeners are going to be like, what? But he's like, oh, yeah, I have it recorded on VHS tape. And I was like, you're kidding me. Dude, I remember writing my mailing address down for this kid. And like begging him to like make me a copy and like send it to me when he got home. And uh, I just remember eagerly anticipating it. And I'm, I'm fairly confident he did. Um, I don't remember it specifically, but I think he did end up sending me like hit a copy of Remember the Time. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was obsessed with Michael Jackson. I can't believe it didn't come up. But um, but strangely enough, like not even reading Macbeth, which I eventually did in short order, but I mean, even just hearing about it, I knew it was for me. And uh, I, I, that's a play that has just sort of haunted me my whole life. And when I was doing theater, that was like the goal for me. I wanted to play Macbeth. And I, I ended up seeing Greg play Macbeth and it was fine. It was like a high school play of Macbeth. Um, but my entire life, you know, certain phrases, certain, um, certain lines from that play have just always stuck with me. And, um, and yeah, so it's just, I don't know. That play has always haunted me. And I remember when I eventually did end up going to performing arts school, I went to like a boarding school my freshman year of high school where I was a theater major. You know, I ended up leaving and deciding, oh, I'm going to go home and do music. <clears throat> but there was a moment at the end of that first year when I had already decided that I wasn't going back. And uh, it was towards the end of the uh, end of the year and they were announcing the shows for the next year. And I remember... Um, it was just, I don't know why this was known, but the, everyone knew that the director of the, of the theater program, his name was David Monty. Everyone knew that David Monty had stated explicitly that he would never do Macbeth. He just had a hard line against high schoolers doing Macbeth because he thought they weren't mature enough to do the play justice or some shit like that. And I don't know why it was that play specifically that was just known, but it was just known that he would never do Macbeth at this program. And they're reading off the plays for the next year, and one of them was Macbeth. Like, he had finally decided to do it. And I remember feeling like I had betrayed my fate. Like, I remember hearing that and thinking, I need to march down to that fucking office right now and tell them I'm coming back. 
Um, and I didn't obviously, but I, I, yeah, it's hard for me to really describe how I felt in that moment, but it was, um, but it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of stuck with me, honestly, (laughs) which is going to sound crazy, but, but it, it just, it has. Um, and, uh, yeah. And actually I think, you know, um, well, two strange things. I've noticed in my life, like when I was young, I was a voracious reader. And I, I mean, dude, I mean, like I, I read Macbeth like in first grade. And I remember, I feel like when I read Shakespeare as a kid, I could understand it better than when I was an adult. And I don't know if that makes sense. But I swear, when I was younger, I could read Shakespeare and I really didn't have any trouble understanding it. And I felt like um, when I came back, like there was a period, I think like in my... Uh, I mean, I didn't read Shakespeare for years. And then I think like in my late twenties, I went back and like, I reread all the tragedies and I remember really struggling. And I was like, how the fuck could I read this when I was younger and understand it better? It's crazy how that works out. But yeah, Macbeth has just uh, been with me my whole life. And, uh, it's crazy. I don't act anymore. And I still feel like at some point in my life, I have to play Macbeth or even sometimes I, you know, you know, I think like, Oh, if I ever made a movie, what would it be? Dude, I would love to direct or, or act in a, uh, an adaptation to Macbeth. Yeah. Wow. Profound. And anyway, I think all this came up cause I was thinking about, um, rich AKA disaster pieces working with, uh, the people who did sleep no more, which is the, uh, it's sort of, a, um, um, I had a good work for it before when I talked about it. What did I call it? An installment? I don't know. It was a, a, I don't know. It's an interactive play type thing that's staged at a, at a, at a, at a warehouse in New York city that's based on Macbeth. You sort of walk around apparently and in each room is different characters and you can, I don't know, they act out scenes and I think you can talk to them and shit. I don't know. It's supposed to be pretty cool, but uh, apparently they're doing something else in New York city coming up that Rich is going to be doing the music for So um, oh, yeah, I gotta be honest, dude, even talking about that, talking about Macbeth kind of has me sad now. Um, dude, it's funny, actually, literally on my, obviously you can't see this, but to my left, I have this blue light shining in my face and, uh, I'm shying away from telling you that I have seasonal affective disorder. Sad. I have SAD, seasonal affective disorder. And, um, it's, I mean, I mean, look, like a lot of people, I've sort of had my, my bouts with depression and, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, probably still do, but, um, yeah, it's crazy. It's just come up in therapy, like over the last few years where my therapist has been telling me, oh, you know, you might have seasonal affective disorder. And I do, I thought it was like, and look, people are going to fucking be pissed because I'm calling these things fake. I don't really know what the fuck I'm talking about, but it's like when people tell you they have chronic fatigue syndrome or Epstein-Barr or, you know, one of these things. And I, and I talk to people on the lines all the time who try to tell me they have things that all of their doctors are telling them they don't have. It's just psychological and they need like, you know, therapy. So I just assumed that seasonal affective disorder was one of these things, which is like, all right, get over yourself. Like, you know, uh, you know, run some laps or rub some dirt on it. And like, you're fucking fine. But it's fucking crazy, dude. I, when I finally decided, you know what, I'm just going to bite the bullet. I'm going to get a light box and just see if it does anything. I, if I'm being honest, I have no fucking clue if it does a goddamn thing for my mood, but, um, I just do it anyway. Cause I figure fuck it. It couldn't hurt. Um, 
But it's funny to me when I, when I, I never notice it in the moment, but when I look back in hindsight, I go, dude, I think there could be something of this whole seasonal affective disorder. Cause when I sat down to do this podcast and I'm literally just beginning to start talking about what I thought I was going to spend the hour talking about. And I fucking spent the first, I don't even know how long we've been talking, like maybe 30 fucking minutes talking about Ridge Vreeland and Macbeth and all that shit. But, um, anyway, I'd rather it be that than me just hitting a couple fucking bullet points. But I was so irritable this week and it's only Wednesday, but I, since Sunday night, I have been in the worst mood and i don't know if i talked about this on another episode but well first of all dude with school and work i really don't get a full night of sleep i work till midnight i have to be in class at nine o'clock you know i get home from work after walking home at like you know let's call it twelve thirty. i can't go to bed right away i'm up for like an hour so i'm going to bed at like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning i'm up at seven you know i'm in class at nine um and uh, working four to midnight, it's like you know, it's it's fine. I can do it. I'm not. And do people have it worse? Like at least I don't have a kid right now. So yeah, I know I'm going off on a tangent here already, but like, so I've been really busy. <laughs> I've been I've been real busy recently, is what I'm saying. And uh, busy for me, maybe I should say. But it's like the minute I think that I'm working hard. I meet someone who's working ten times harder than me, and is working harder than I'll ever have to work in my entire life. Like when I uh, commute to school, I have to, you know, in, in the Bay Area, we have BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit, which is like our subway slash train or whatever. So I BART to school and uh, across from the station that I use, there's a corner store and it's a family owned place. And uh, I've been going there for years and I know the family and I know the sons and I see them all the time and they know me and they're super friendly and I go there because they're so nice and they keep the store clean and uh, it's just a great operation and they're the type of people I want to give my money to. But the eldest son is there all the time. And I know he goes to school. I know he got married recently. He's a young dude. He's probably like 19 or 20. But because I was going to school and working and I was like, hey man, how often do you work? He's like, eh, about eh, 60 hours a week. And I was like, holy moly. And dude, he doesn't even get paid. Like his dad will like pay for his school. And I guess like his dad bought him a car, which is all phenomenal. But like he doesn't get paid an hourly wage. And he's married. And, and he goes to school full time. And I'm like, dude, you're 19, 20. You work harder than I will ever have to work in my life. And dude, the the craziest part about it is his attitude. Dude, he's so friendly. I've never once, I've never once in the years that I've gone there seen him be short-tempered or look stressed out or beleaguered. You know, it's like every store I go into, I talk about this with my girlfriend. And dude, you sound like such a grandpa when you say this stuff, but it's like, Young people who work places all have an attitude, like they're too good to be there. And I get it. Everyone is in a band or they're a poet or they're a blogger or they're on YouTube or they have a podcast like this. And everyone thinks they're going to be a rock star and, you know, whatever job they're working today is just a pit stop on the way to their fucking, you know, superstardom. And so everyone feels like they're too good for what they're doing. But, you know, I encounter that all the time, especially young people that have a fucking attitude. Okay ran over but this dude doesn't have that at all he has a great work ethic he's super friendly and it's like dude you're half my age and i want to be you when i grow up um so he's like my hero is what i'm saying but um but yeah the minute you think you work hard you encounter people who are working 10 times as hard and uh 
Um, and dude, at least I don't have kids. You know, I, there's someone I work with who literally, she works all night. She starts at midnight, works until 8 a.m., and then goes to work. She works all night and then goes to work and then goes home and is a parent. She's a mom. And she literally just snatches like an hour of sleep here and an hour of sleep there. And one of our other coworkers worded it perfectly. She's like, oh, she eats stress for breakfast. <laughs> and I was like, dude, that's the perfect way to fucking put it. And dude, some people just have a motor. Dude, some people just, and I go, I don't know how you get that. I mean, if you, I mean, I'd like to believe if I absolutely had to, I could do it. I'd rise to the occasion. I think, I don't want to say most people would, but I think a lot of us would. If we had to, we would. But some people just have a motor, man. And I feel like, dude, if I had one slice of that, I'd be way more successful in life. But I don't. I'm soft. Um, and why was I talking about all that? Um, seasonal effective? Yeah, shit. I don't even know how I fucking got to what I was just talking about. But, um, yeah, seasonal affective disorder. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I, w- I will... Recently, so I, dude, so not a professional at this. Anyway, we're working on it. We're getting better. Um, and you know what? I could delete this, but I'm not. I'm gonna leave it in. And after I do, and by the way, I've told myself I'm doing a hundred episodes of this, and only then will I evaluate whether or not I want to keep doing it. I'm committed to a hundred episodes of this. And you better believe. Well, it could still happen, but what I'm hoping is by the hundredth episode, none of that shit will happen. Um, and I'll listen back to this stuff and laugh and I go, God damn, you were horrible at this, but good on you for sticking with it. Um, so yeah, sorry. That was a personal cheerleading message to myself. Um, but what I want you to do is do the same with your own life. You know, anyway, I was about to get all Tony Robbins on Tony Robbins on you and I won't. Um, but I think what I was just trying to say is, um, I've been on the grind for school. I've been working hard. I've been feeling great. And uh, for whatever reason, Sunday, I was leading some training that we're doing for like uh, some new uh, people at work. And I was so irritated that night. And I had to wake up for school super early and I couldn't sleep. I was tossing and turning and I literally felt like something else in the room with me. Like it was like, and I, and I I mean emotionally, like I felt a current inside my body and I was like, dude, something's changed. Something's fucking changed. Where is this irritability coming from? What's going on? And I went to school the next day and I'm in math class and it's like my cognitive functions have, are failing. You know, we're I, like, we're able, like I was actually even doing homework the night before and I was like, dude, why am I so frustrated? Excuse me, I'm burping. Why am I so frustrated? Why am I struggling with this? Normally I just sat, sit down and do this stuff and I felt so antsy and irritable and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And I go to class and I have time to like take some quizzes or retake some quizzes or whatever. And I already did fine the first time, but I was like, oh, I have a couple extra attempts. So like, why not fucking do that? And I fucking did worse the second time. And that's okay because he keeps the highest score. But I was like, dude, what is going on? And, uh, and I thought about it and I didn't want to admit it to myself. But I was like, oh, Sunday. Dude, we've had a fucking heat wave out here. And Sunday... As I was walking to work, there was a little bit of chill in the air. And it was great. It was comfortable. But I noticed it. And I thought about it Monday. I was like, dude, could it be? Could it be? 
dude, is there a chance that this is the seasonal affective shit? Like, does my body know? Like, dude, the days are getting shorter. Is my body like, oh, winter is here. It's time to be fucking S-A-D, bro. I think so. And it sounds like hocus pocus. And if you don't have, dude, look, many of you listening to this are going to be like, oh, that's nonsense. But I'm telling you, I'm starting, I'm starting to think there's something to it. And so, uh, yeah, I got my light box here on my left. And uh, when you buy these things, like mine's like a Philips, some shit or other, but it's just like this blue light. And when you buy these things, I think they say like, oh, set it, you know, catty corner to your eye for like 20 minutes at a time. Dude, I keep mine on all day. I literally just keep it on full blast. So we'll see if it helps me. I will say though, dude, and I I talk about this all the time, but you know, I take some medication for, uh, for depression. I have a light box for my SAD, but I really believe the best thing you can do for yourself. and, And for me, like one of the most powerful tools of like regulating my, my feelings and my emotions is exercise. And I've, fucking crushed it yesterday dude i ran 5.2 miles which is you know not a marathon but i ran fast and i killed it and part of it was dude we've had this heat wave and so the other times i'm running i've like it's been really difficult but this time man dude i was running like the wind dude it was like forrest gump and uh i and i you know people talk about a runner's high which i've never experienced i don't know what people are talking about but what i have experienced and i look forward to is when you're like when you're first starting to run um it's difficult and it feels awful. And not only is it hard cardiovascularly, like you're just, you know, gasping for air. Like you're just, you're literally just out. Like we talk about out of shape as if it's your body style or your, or your body weight or whatever. It's not your weight. It's your cardiovascular shape. Um, and, uh, so that is, it's exceedingly difficult. Your lungs are burning. You know, it's, it's very uncomfortable. But even worse than that, like as if you're actually out of physical shape, like, you know, if you're holding like 15, 20 extra pounds on you, it feels awful running. You feel parts of yourself moving, you know? You feel super self-conscious. And uh, add on top of that, the physical uncomfortableness, and uh, it's a recipe for disaster. But if you push through that, if you push through that, when you get to the point, well, first of all, when you can run a mile, you're on your way. And at least for me, in, in pretty short order, you know, when you can run three miles, which I bet for most people would take them about, if they ran a few times a week for, uh, you know, if you're knocking on the door of, you know, you do as much as you can, but you're always trying to increase it to the point where you can run a mile, you know, you're really shooting for like 20 minutes, 20, 25, 30 minutes of running. Um, you could do that in a couple months. And if you get to three miles, you're golden. Because after that, once you can run three miles, that to me is the benchmark. And everything after that in terms of dif- distance is just, it's two things. It's part physical, it's how long can your legs hold out, and it's part psychological. Like how far can you push yourself? And when you push yourself, you know, you get, when you start running and you're going to run like, you know, five miles or six miles or whatever it is, even like a half marathon, which I've run before, you have your first win. The first three miles can be a little difficult. But once you get past your first win, you break through that first win, you plateau on this level that feels like you could run forever. You're like, as long as my legs don't give out, I could run forever. You're not breathing hard. You're, you feel super, and you've been running for like four miles. You've, you know, most people would think you'd be exhausted. Dude, your breathing's fine. You know, you're just breathing rhythmically, you're running rhythmically, and you feel like you just hit this space of like clarity. 
and you feel like, oh yeah, I can do this forever. And, uh, you know, I feel it a lot when I run, but there was something about running yesterday that really hit it for me. And I was like thoroughly enjoying myself. It's crazy. It does, it's not all the time. Some, some days are just really hard and you have to push through it. But that was one of the few times where I was like, it, and I think a lot of it, I was proud of myself too. You know, when you start off and it's super difficult at first, but you keep pushing through it, it's incredible to look up and be like, oh dude, yeah, I'm just running 5.2 miles. That's great. Oh, and we're not stopping. Oh, that's not new. The accomplishment, me and my girlfriend are running a half marathon in November. Um, so I'm going to be running even more. So I'm not, I'm not pretending I'm finished or that I've, uh, that I've reached the goal, but, uh, we're going to be pushing through, but, um, it's still, uh, nice to, you know, give yourself some kudos and say, damn, you're still a far cry from where you, where you were when you started just a couple months ago. So, uh, good for me and good for you too. I'm sure you're, uh, a lot of people in their life feeling that way about certain shit that they're working on or whatever. So anyway, I'm not going to be a motivational speaker anytime soon. Actually, I think I'd be, a, I think I'd be better at being a demotivational speaker. You know, I flirt with the idea sometimes like, like I feel super crazy, but like one time this kid like sent me an email. I'm sorry. I'm, I was about to start shuffling cards, which I shouldn't do. But, um, this kid sent me an email and he's like, um, you know, what should I do to have a career in music? And dude, the, I totally regret sending him this, but my advice to him was really, you know, think long and hard about whether or not this is what you want to do. And if you can picture yourself doing anything else and being happy, just do that. <laughs> And I was like, dude, I'm supposed to say, dude, uh, you know, uh, you know, keep chasing your dreams and keep reach, keep reaching for the stars. But I didn't. I literally told him, if you can see yourself doing anything else and being happy, do it. And I kind of feel that way. I kind of feel like that's the only advice I have for creative people, which is really think about it. Because if you can see yourself doing anything else and being happy, just do that. Because you're likely to to succeed at it. Like if it's between being a songwriter. And, um, I don't know, a patent lawyer, just be a patent lawyer because you will succeed at that. And then you can do whatever you want creatively and you won't have to worry about money. But dude, some people literally, and there are so few and far between, there's so many people who will say this, dude, I was born to do this. I can't do anything else. No, the number of people I've actually met in my life. And I've met thousands on upon thousands of aspiring musicians Dude, maybe half a dozen people I've met in my life where I said, oh, this person can do nothing else. And not like, oh, they have no skills. <laughs> I mean, I've met people who can do nothing else and they're also not meant to do music, clearly, because they're not good at that either. But I mean, people where I go, oh, this is this is what they're going to do on this planet. Uh, one of them is Megan Slankard. And if you don't know Megan, you need to look her up. But that girl's never had a day job. She's literally never had a job since she was like, 17 or 18 she just supported herself doing music she and i actually collaborated on a cover of uh, the chain smokers um closer you can find it on my spotify um but megan slankard is just one of those people you go oh you're just gonna do this for the rest of your life um and that's a very rare quality and uh it's it's really impressive when you actually encounter it the other is the, the other one is this dude adam fawcett this dude I uh, opened up for in Tucson, like years. I mean, I wasn't living in Tucson at the time, but I was uh, just playing a show there and I was on a bill with him. And I met that dude and I was like, oh, this guy is gonna just going to do this for the rest of it. And I remember talking to him about it. I was like just starting to tour or something at the time. And I was like, yeah, it's been difficult. And, you know, and he was, and I was just talking to him. He was like, oh, dude, I'm I, like, I was made for the road, which is fucking insane because anyone who's ever toured will tell you it is so, it's, it's depressing, it's lonely, it's expensive. You know, but some people love it. 
And that dude, Adam Foss, is just one of those types of people. Like, he's just going to tour, 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 tour. He loves going to strange towns and playing shows and meeting people and going out and partying with them. And, uh, I mean, it's such a rare quality. It's super, super rare. <clears throat> Most of us just tolerate it because it's, you know, we, what we actually love is the creative process, you know? And I'm not that these people don't love the creative process. They love the creative process, too. But they also just love everything else that comes along with it. While the rest of us just tolerate all the, the you know, the, the touring and all that shit just because it's something you're supposed to do. You know, it makes me think, oh, we're just fucking imposters. Well, these are the real people who are going to be successful. Oh, man. Yeah, maybe there's something to that. I mean, here I am going back to school, doing a podcast. You know, while all the people I know who, you know, constitutionally are like, uh, um, you know, I feel like are supposed to be doing this, they're still doing it. So, I'm not really sure what to say about that. Um, you know, I haven't really developed a strong internal clock for this thing yet, so I'm not, I'm not positive how long we've been recording for. But in my mind, I feel like this would be the time where I, I uh, answer people's questions. And uh, I was so impressed with, uh, with everyone last time. Um, I put out the call for questions, and uh, I got some garbage, but I also got some good questions. And I feel like... Uh, um, when I even when I went back and listened to that episode, it was fun for me to 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 hear myself responding to your questions, and I just felt really grateful that you know, um, like look, the first episode came out. This is going to be the second one. Um, oh, I should say like the actual second. I I put out a pilot episode that I recorded, not even expecting anyone to hear it. But uh, you know, when you create the RSS feed and you want to submit the podcast to uh, iTunes and Google and Spotify and all that stuff, you need it. You need an episode. So I just used um, um, the one I had recorded before answering your questions as the as the episode. So that I was calling that the pilot episode. One is recorded. I answer your questions. That's going to be coming out soon. Um, but hopefully, you you will have heard it by now. <laughs> when you hear this, you'll have already heard episode one. Um, and uh, where was it going with that? Oh, anyway, I, I guess I just want to say I put that out and, you know, between YouTube and Spotify, um, it already has well over 100 downloads and listens. And so, um, you know, I, I'm not saying we're putting the Adam Carolla show or Joe Rogan out of business anytime soon, but uh, that's really impressive to me and it means a lot. And uh, thank you. And if you want to help it grow, if you like what you're hearing, if you want me to do more of this, um, you know, tell a friend and don't tell, you know, you don't, I'm not even asking you to tell a bunch of people. I want you to think of one person, one, just one person that you think would genuinely like this and send them the link and encourage them to listen. Because, you know, I don't need a thousand new listeners every episode, but dude, if you just turn one person onto it, that's it. Like, I, I, dude, I said this thing impulsively and it's, it's, dude, it's stuck with me and I think it's really important and it's something I want to keep reminding myself, which is, dude, I want you. I want you to like this. I want you to listen. Dude, I want everyone to like and listen to this podcast but I don't need you. I want you, don't need you. Because I'm going to do this. Like I said, I'm going to do 100 of these. And I don't care if it annoys every single person who's connected with me up until this point. Every time I post about this podcast, dude, people can unfollow me. I don't give a shit. I feel called to do this right now and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do at least 100 of them. And then I'm going to decide for myself whether or not I want to keep doing it. But so far, dude, I'm having a blast. And uh, I enjoy thinking about it. And, um, you know, I can't promise they're all going to be home runs, but you know, they're surprising to me. Like I had no idea, like even talking now, I had no idea we were going to fucking get into this. I had no idea I was going to spend all that time talking about Rich or Macbeth or whatever. 
Um, it, but it, it's fun for me. And um, it's nice to have something creative in my life right now that I'm really excited about. And so I'm going to keep doing it. But um, but I do hope you do like it. I do hope that you like it. And um, if you do know anybody else you think would like it as well, please share it with them. Um, oh, but this is the part where uh, I chastise you as much as I congratulate you. Because while I had phenomenal questions the first time, I put out a second call for questions. And I'm telling you, dude, I'm befuddled. I don't know what's wrong with you people. But all the questions, do you have a YouTube? I'm just I'm ignoring these questions. I'm going to start making fun of people too, which I don't want to do. I'm starting to feel kind of nasty about it, but it's, it's crazy. And also not questions. Like, look, it's really nice. Here, let me look at some of these. Um, and dude, so nice. I'm not giving you a hard time, but this is from seven Aerith dot Roble. I don't, I, I think that seven is supposed to be like an S or something. I don't know. Sarah dot Roble. I don't know, but it says, bro, your shit is on fire. And it has like four fire emojis. Keep on going, bro, with a with a red heart. Dude, that's awesome. Thanks so much for saying that. Still, not a question. Uh, this dude even says, Demastoy, or sorry, Demast, Demast Soy. No questions. Your music is chill for us. Best, exclamation point. And he has the thumbs up and the fucking smiley face with the sunglass emoji. Dude, awesome. Thanks so much for saying that. Uh, it really means a lot that people like my music and they listen. Still, not a question. Uh, <laughs> this is from Nice Gus Riagmal. Dude, I think this literally just came in. Nice Gus Riagmal says, I love you. Aw, that's so sweet. I'm sure I would like you a lot too if I knew you. Um, I think it's a little early to use the word love, but I'm sure you're nice and I hope I get to know you better. Still, not a question. Uh, yeah, other than that, there's a lot of, where can I find your music? And are you on YouTube? I do have some from friends, people getting real fucking cheeky in my inbox. Um, my brother says, uh, if you wrote a song about me, what would it be called? Uh, I don't think, I don't think what I would actually call it is fit for air. Um, and then he says, same for, and he names my girlfriend and then his fiance and his dog. Um, I don't know. I do have thoughts, but they're not funny. Like for my girlfriend, I don't know. I love you is what I would call the song. For your fiance, I would say uh, the song would be called Too Good For You. And uh, for your dog, I would say Better Off Living With Me would be the name of the song. Dude, I do love my brother's dog. Dude, it's crazy. I love my brother's dog. Dude, I think about my brother's dog. I love my brother's dog so much. And I'll tell you why. Um, my brother got a dog. Um I, I, you know, I'm only hesitating because I don't know how much I want to tell you about, I don't know how much I want to tell you about other people other than myself, but my brother has an American pocket bully. And if you haven't seen these dogs, look them up. You might not like it. I think it's kind of a polarizing dog. Um, but I don't like cute dogs. I don't like, um, chihuahuas and I don't like little purse dogs. And I don't like something that looks like if I stepped on it, I could hurt it. Uh, and it's not like I like mean looking dogs, but there's something about this pocket bully I, I, I am just absolutely in love with it. And I even follow a bunch of like Instagram, Instagram accounts now for, for bullies. And I just look at them and I think all, and some of them are really atrocious because I think the breeders don't really know what they're doing. Um, and even my brother pointed out, like a lot of these bullies have like joint problems because they're, they're so musculature, but they're also have these short legs. So their bodies can't like support their weight or whatever. But, um, my brother's dog is freaking beautiful. And, uh, 
he actually he and his fiance got this dog and i think within like a couple months they were going to make this trip out of town and so my brother um who's living on the other side of the country right now he was like um hey dude is there a chance you could like come over and house it for a couple weeks because we just got this dog but we're also trying to go out of town and i was like yep so i flew over and i spent like two weeks at my brother's place with his dog and just like living my brother's life for a little bit like walking around this dog and i fell in love with this dog and it's crazy because there's other parts of my life i should be attached to you know i have family members who have kids that i don't communicate with or that i haven't met and i just think Dude, it's so disturbing to me that I'm so fond of this dog, and it, dude, it says something like, like it, it's the equivalent of like cat lady. Like, I'm not a cat lady because I don't like cats, partly because I'm allergic to them, partly because I don't like them. But uh, yeah, like I, it's, it's almost like I feel like I prefer dogs to people on some level. But um, but uh, yeah, dude, oh. dude, and funny story actually too, because like what I was about to say is, oh, I wish my brother would just bring his dog over to my house and say, hey, you keep him. Like that would be, uh, I, I, and I would do it in a second, but it wouldn't be the fucking first time my brother's done that. Like literally years ago, this is probably, um, dude, at least a decade ago when I was living in Tucson and, uh, my brother and some friends apparently were out partying one night and they were like stopped at this intersection. And if you know, Tucson, it was on the, I think it was on like Alvernon and Grant and apparently there was just some dog standing on the sidewalk or something. And my brother, and they just like open the car door and the dog just like runs in and, uh, they just take it home and keep it. And my brother had it and I don't know what was going on, but after like a couple of days he was going to school, um, he realized he just couldn't keep this dog. It just wasn't working out at his place or whatever. And so he just brought the dog by my place and was like, Hey, you want you like, you should have this dog. And I was like, Oh man, I got a dog. And I kept it for like two days and uh actually i think i had it for like maybe even two weeks or so but i remember walking him i remember him sleeping with me um uh and i remember after no maybe it was just like a couple days or so i don't remember but the point is is after i had it for a few days i was like you know what i really gotta do the right thing and this is someone's dog and even if no one claims it i gotta put up posters so i did make some found dog posters and uh put them up and literally i put up one and then i walk to like the next telephone pole and as i'm putting it up i see a lost dog poster for this dog so i call the number and literally within five minutes somebody came and met us and picked them up and uh i was a little heartbroken at the time but uh yeah it's crazy when i was like i love dogs i've always wanted a dog and um i remember when i was a kid i, I got my first dog and and of course my mom ended up taking care of it mostly but uh, i love the shit out of that dog and uh i remember putting it to sleep actually that might have been like my first like experience with the death i mean like i had had a grand i had, had grandparents die i dude i may even have had like friends die uh we did have a friend who was in the military who uh he didn't die in combat but he died uh, while he was in the service and i remember uh um i remember i just remember the funeral service and i know my, my brother has lost friends to you know they had a friend who died of a, a not a drug overdose but had taken some tainted uh, MDM, well, ecstasy, you know, MDMA is like pure, whatever the fuck, but, um, he had taken like some bad ecstasy and and passed away. Um, but, um, yeah, I just remember my dog being put to sleep and like, um, yeah, it was sad. Anyway, whew. Yeah. Getting a little dark and sad. Good thing I got my fucking light box on. So, yeah. Anyway, I feel like I'm starting to tread water. We'll probably wrap this up pretty soon. Um, but did I 
Did I finish my thoughts? Oh, and then, oh yeah, well, also just to bring it back for these questions, not a lot of good ones, so uh, hoping that, ho- I'm hoping that next time there'll be better ones. Um, but my, my buddy Aaron Marsh, he was the guy who uh, texted Adam Duritz's girlfriend uh, about his hair, um, which by now you will have heard that episode. Which, by the way, dude, I love that story. I hope it's cool that it's out there. I hope people think it's funny. But he, his question to me was, because he's a comedian, <laughs> he says, when did you bleed the most? <laughs> and I can't tell you what I responded to him, but, uh, he's super funny. If you want some good comedy or memes, check him out. Aaron Marsh. A- and I misspelled his name on the podcast cause I'm a bad friend, but, uh, uh, I did fix it in the show notes, but you can find him and you know what, dude, cause you're great. I'm going to plug you in the second show notes too. His name's Aaron Marsh. A A R O N M. Oh, I see. He has his middle initial in his tag. Dude, you sneaky bastard. So if you want to find Aaron Marsh, you can find him at A-A-R-O-N-M-M-A-R-S-H. And, uh, dude, it's funny. I even hear the theme music playing out. So if I finish, like, soon, this episode is going to be exactly as long as the other one. So let's do it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, if you want to submit questions, you can. Um, I fucking hate Twitter, but, uh, you can message me anywhere. You can use the hashtag, this is mpod. Um, you're smart. You'll figure it out. If you, if you got a question you want to ask me, you figure out how to get it to me and I'll answer it. And I'll probably put a call out on my Instagram story again soon. But, um, uh, thanks for listening. I have a new song coming out. I'm not just going to be doing the podcast. I'm going to be doing music soon. Uh, I'm going to be doing, still be doing music also. And, uh, I'm going to be on the same schedule. I'm still going to be releasing uh, an original song every month. And, uh, I got a good one for you. I got a good one for you coming up uh, in October. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing the podcast. So, um, if you want, you can find me, all my social tags are at this is MXOXO. Um, this, the podcast is live on Spotify, subscribe and follow, follow there. And, uh, it's going to be in iTunes and Apple podcasts and Google play and stitcher and all that shit pretty soon. Um, so we're just rolling out, you know, you stutter step a little bit as these things, uh, get set up and then when they do, you're, you're off to the races. So, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you like it, share it with a friend. Otherwise, um, stay great. Have a good weekend and don't get sad. (laughs) All right. Ciao for now.